Welcome to the Women's Retail Collective podcast, where we sit down with retail's top female executives to discuss their career journeys and how they're leading their organizations through our rapidly evolving retail industry. I'm your host, Anne Mazinga. Let's meet our next guest, Kristen Sevilla. Kristen is the CEO of JOR. Kristen, welcome to the Women's Retail Collective podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm really happy to be here with you. Well, we're so excited to have you. This is, you're our first ever kind of two for one podcast guest. We have a spotlight series podcast that we also did with you because Chris and I really believe, you know, what you're doing at JOR and and JOR, what it's doing for the retail industry is something that people really need to be paying attention to. But I really wanted to call our listeners' attention to your career specifically because it's a very unique one. Um, if you can, let's just, let's kind of start at the beginning. Okay. Tell us about your first retail job. Yeah. So I, you know, graduated college and worked at Macy's in their executive training program. Uh, sadly, no longer exists today, but it was such a great program. And what it did back in the era was um, it really was about sinking or swimming and teaching you true merchandising. They threw you into the water. Um, you started out in a very small training class for about 12 weeks. And after that, you were made a manager of a department in a store. So you're, I was 21 years old. You're called a white flower. You had a white flower on your, on your, I don't know if they still do that there, but a white flower on your, on your blazer at the time, because it was all suits, uh, meant that you were a manager and you managed people who, in my case, were all a lot older than me, um, with a lot more experience than me in the department. Um, so it was very interesting times. Um, and what they did was they started you there then put you in the buying office then put you in stores and really developed well-rounded merchants who understood both sides of buying and, 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 and selling in the floor itself. So I think that it was a really strong program. Well, and you are the second person that I've had on this podcast who's gone through this program. Um, Allison Hahn, she's uh, at Sephora now, but she was in the Bambergers program, which became the Macy's training program. It sounds so fascinating. Does anything exist like this today still? I feel like it's it sounds like this deep immersion into kind of all sides of the business and then the the on-site experience is something that could be so valuable. Does it do you know of anybody that's still I doing it? I don't and I wish more would do it and I wish more would invest. I think it's one of the areas that got cut unfortunately because it Okay. I really believe that, you know, though my company is all about data as well, being a merchant is first and foremost and understanding product and instinct. And, um, you know, there's not a, as much as that as I think used to be based on the trainings that we used to get. Well, and I have to ask, what was the first department you were thrown in? Did you get to pick? You do not pick and you don't, you don't pick the store either. I lived in Manhattan and I was thrown in Stamford, Connecticut on the reverse commute in handbags and hosiery. So those are my departments. La Sports Stack was all the rage back then. And that was my La Sports Stack wall. And at Christmas time, it was all about the slippers I had to put out and keep the slipper tables full. Um, but yeah, that was my first place. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, and tell me a little bit about your path to your career now, because what I found really interesting about your background is that you spent a lot of time, especially in 
uh, these like these registry experiences. And then I'd love to hear kind of how you evolved from that buyer position and especially the priority, I think, given to like registry was almost like early customization in a way, um, that we, of what we see now. So tell us a little bit about, about the, the next steps on from Macy's. Yeah. What honestly triggered their move into registry was that I was relocating. I was leaving, um, New York. Uh, my husband, um, had gotten a fantastic job up in New Hampshire and we made the family decision, the two of us to move to New Hampshire. So I had actually resigned from Macy's, a buying role that I held there. He was also a buyer there, by the way. Um, And when I resigned, uh, my GMM at the time said, you know, I I would love for you to talk to, uh, her name was Linda Lee, who runs the registry program because they have a job that that they'll let be remote. So I figured, all right, I mean, I'll, let me talk to her. What, you know, what harm could it do? Not thinking much of it, to be honest, at the, in that moment. And when I spoke and understood the position, I felt like it was a role that previously the people who ran the position, which was a bridal registry regional manager, okay. were doing it very from an events background, which is important. You want to have great events. But there weren't real business minds running it of sort of how do you increase revenue? How do you grow the penetration of your registry business at a location? Mm-hmm. And I found it exciting that I could do it from that perspective. And I also found it interesting that even though I was moving all the way to New Hampshire from New York, this big life change, how cool to stay with a company that I'd been with for six years at the time. So I took the job and the role and ended up being able to be very influential in registry with a business mindset of growing the business tremendously um, by thinking about it as transactional and, um, you know, viewing it that way. And then, so it was your time in registry then that brought you to tell us a little bit about the XO group, the not uh, the bump that group. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was my time in registry that um, I was then uh, it was funny. I think I was 25 years old and considered an expert in bridal registry, which felt great, but it was just so funny. From um, handbags and hosiery to an expert in registry. Hosiery, I mean, you're just, registry. you're a mover and, and a shaker, um, Kristen. Yeah. In between, I, I had a stint at uh, Linens and Things for a while. And okay. there is where I helped. Um, uh, I was responsible for the registry business there, getting it um, launched. Um, we launched, a, my boss and I launched a website together for the very first time, lnt.com. Um, you launched lnt.com? Uh, my, my boss was the lead launcher on it. I was on the program, but we first launched lnt.com as a bridal site because it was just the easiest. Sure transition. So I was on that project and that was a big thing. It's from there that the Knot and I did a partnership. So the Knot at the time was a really tiny company um, that was trying to get a transactional business going. They had built an impressive base and following social, social following at the time on AOL at the time, actually, Um, (laughs) which is very funny to think about. Um, But they wanted to bring in a transactional business person who could run their transaction business. And that was me. So I jumped over there as um, running their e-commerce and registry businesses. And there we did a lot of cool things. I mean, my favorite thing that we executed there is that a lot of people don't realize that 
the wedding websites of today, you know, those personal wedding web pages that you see, yeah, Scott.com, and you go in and you say, Oh, look, this is where they met. Oh, look at these beautiful photos. The reason we launched those at the knot was because we wanted you to use our registry platform, our broader registry platform. So we we auto embedded where you were registered in our links, our monetized links from our right. our um, our registry platform into every one of those sites. And what we created was one of the first viral sharing of bridal registry, where brides and couples, you know, were always uncomfortable telling people, "Oh, this is where I'm registered," because you felt like you're saying, "Buy me a gift." But right. this enabled couples to say, "Read our story," and then, "Oh, by the way, look at all these." <laughs> places I'm registered and you can buy me gifts. So it gave this eloquent way of sharing um, of your, your registry list. Well, and Kristen, I think you really deserve some kudos there too, because it's not just about, you know, you, you are definitely like solving the end game of getting people on your registry, but it, it really, to me, seems like you, you just attacked this, this problem or opportunity from like, what are all of the things that we can do? What's the customer experience going to be here first? And how can we like create this ecosystem around the the end game? Um, and, and so successfully, I mean, I don't know anybody anymore who doesn't have the Kristen and Scott.com, you know, it's like, that's, that's just the way things are now. It's really, really cool that you had a hand in that. Right. Thank you. Yeah. We're proud of that. It's, It's a very big today. Well, now you're at JOR, you're the CEO. Tell us a little bit about your job there now. And, um, you know, I have to imagine, I'm curious, like all this background and experience with registry, you know, almost being like this marketplace um, for brands and and for retailers to find these brands. Tell us about like what skills you kind of brought into this role with you and a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, I think you look at my career history, both parts of my career really played into this. Being a merchant, I think, and understanding the problems of our industry firsthand is vital. I see every product that releases, um, and um, you know, and I can give that gut check of does this is this does this make sense, <laughs> right? Um, so I think that that's a powerful position. Um, but from the not, it is exactly what you were describing in, which is the marketplace experience. When you think about a marketplace, one of the big things there has to do with upstream transparency of data. And one of the ways I describe what we did at The Knot was the digital transformation of the wedding planning process. And that allowed for better matching between couples and venues, photographers, florists, because quite frankly, people knew more about each other sooner. Bringing that to to JOR, we're leading the digital transformation of the wholesale buying and selling process. So again, we're using data to better match brands and retailers and to ensure that the products they're buying and selling are right. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to take enormous markdowns. Nobody wants to buy the wrong thing. So we enable that in a marketplace-like environment that allows us for smarter buying and selling. What do you look to right now as you're thinking about kind of where you're going to take Jor? Um, what are the kind of sources of inspiration for you uh, to kind of keep going, especially during this time? Like what, what's keeping you curious or intrigued in the market? How do you stay on top of things? 
Yeah, I mean, how do I stay on top of things is absolutely, I do a lot of reading and learning for sure. sure. You guys, I follow you guys all the time, but LinkedIn, other places to see what the trends are. Um, you know, with this pandemic, it was, we were very fortunate to be well positioned for where it went. So it went to virtual showrooms. We already had a virtual showroom. We just made it much better, right? Um, for trade shows, when, when those went um, from physical to digital virtual, we already had a trade show app called Passport as an app that we were able to quickly turn into a full platform that everyone could sure. use. So it's about, you know, we've we built the company for 10 years, listening and learning to the industry. But what I like to say is we never do exactly what we're told because that's not innovation. And if you think about it, I always do the Henry Ford analogy of when he had, if he would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Right. Of the car. Right. So we very much have that mentality at your of listening and learning. But it is rare that I will build what you asked me to build you. We will take it back to our factory and we will figure out what the industry actually really needs and what catapults the industry and solves the real problem, not just the short term solution. So Kristen, I have a question. I've never asked anybody this, but I'm hearing this kind of recurring theme as I hear your career history. But if you were to kind of like outline for somebody, maybe what your, your, one of your best skills are as, as a CEO in this case, what would that be? Um, or like your biggest, what's your biggest attribute? Because I, I'm hearing something and I'm curious from like, from your perspective, if, if it's the same. Along yeah. The same I mean, I, I would hope people would say innovation. Um, but with that, um, I am an instinctual person. I listen and learn, but I will be decisive and, and go with that decision. Um, so I probably say that, you know, that ability to listen, learn, but move, move to the innovation quickly would probably be my strongest. And I'm curious, like, cause I think that there, there's a lot of people who see, especially female CEOs. And I think that they, that you follow a certain path and in order to kind of follow that path, to get to a position like yours, you know, you, you kind of go with the flow in some cases, but what I want to really point out for our listeners and what I think is really important about what you've told us about your time at the knot, your time, you know, your time at JOR now is, is how you've really, I think, asked questions that, or challenged maybe what people are telling you should be done um, and use your instincts to, to decide, you know, what is the customer, what is the real problem we're trying to solve here? And I'm curious, like, if you have any advice for people of how they might approach that, or if, if they're feeling instinctually, especially I heard this from buyers, like buying is instinct and data put together. What would you tell people about, you know, how they might follow that instinct and how they might use that as, as a way to differentiate them? Yeah. I mean, I think you, it's listening to your customer, whoever that customer is, is always first and foremost, that's what you're doing. But again, it's never going to be exactly what your customer says. So you do have to, I don't know, I surround myself with really smart people as well that can, that as a team, we can come up with the real solution to what the problem being asked is. Right. So I think, um, you know, there's a couple of things I always tell people, um, one is to stay focused. You still want to stay focused on whether it's the department that you're buying for or in my world, the mission, the mission that the company has. 
you're going to get distracted by so many different opportunities that are exciting, but sure. picking, picking the shot is vital. All right? right. And don't let yourself get off of the mission. So in my world, I'm always saying to myself, I know that we're about digital transformation, no brand or retail left behind. When I'm assessing an opportunity that comes into Jor, I will ask the question, does that fit this mission, right? And right. if it doesn't, as exciting as it may seem, I probably shouldn't be doing it. The second thing I always advise, even though I say stay focused, I advise that you stay flexible. And that's where the listening and learning piece comes in because mm -hmm. you're gonna get better every day at your job because you're gonna know more than you knew yesterday. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And right. in this industry, I'm much smarter than I was four years ago. And I need to stay flexible to the opportunities while still staying focused. So you got to balance the two that maybe the way we do it will change because the industry's changed. Like the way that we adapted and pivoted, so to speak, with you know, COVID was because we had a stay flexible mindset. Had we stayed focused on Jura the way it was designed, which was an in-showroom iPad app, we'd be mm -hmm. failing right now but we stayed flexible and here we are. The third one is actually that you have to be decisive. You can't linger too long in decision-making because you will miss opportunities. And the belief I've always had and probably while you hear me say that I've just made these quick decisions for my instincts is everything can be iterated. Nothing is permanent. Moving forward is more important than getting it 100% right the first time. So I, it is rare that I get it 100% right the first time to be transparent and I'm fine with that. Let's move forward and if it's off course a little bit, pivot, 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 iterate, iterate, iterate. And it's been those three things that I've used as my guiding principles for, for leading, to be honest. That, I think that's such great advice, especially the flexibility part. Uh, I think we, you know, we get so hung up on making the right decision and having every data point in every box tell us that that is the right decision. Um, yeah, using your intuition and and forward motion being key, learning from the mistakes. Also, I want to to think about kind of the future with you, Kristen, as you're, you're in your role now at JOR, what do you, what do you want to accomplish with the rest of your career? Is there anything that's kind of on your list of like, it'd be really great if I could do this at some point? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I'm never one of those people who's been driven by like, I have to be a CEO by this age and I have to do this. Right. I don't even think I ever had CEO in my mind. I think I've always just been going to jobs that inspire me where I feel I can have an impact. I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to go somewhere where they can be valued and bring value. And that's always been sort of my mark. You know, some I, I stayed at companies a long time. When you think about my career at, at, at The Knot, people have often asked me, why were you there 12 years? I said, I wasn't in the same role for 12 years. Like, right. I was inspired by the mission there and I was in different roles and I was learning and I felt that I was bringing value and they were bringing value to me through that entire time period. And I feel the same, you know, wait, thing about Jor. I'm getting as much value out of this position that I, that I feel that I'm bringing to the company. So I'm not targeted on like by this age, I have to go here and do this and do this. 
For me, it's important that I do all my jobs well. I'm a mom, I have four kids, I'm married, I'm a great husband. You know, that matters to me just as much, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always picking the things that I can grow, that inspire me, that I can be good at, honestly. Uh, and even if I'm not good at it right away, that I know I can grow into being good at it. Right. Um, you know, while I'm able to also, you know, have, have a great home life and a great family life too. Do you have any secrets that you can share about being a mom and a CEO at the same time? There are no magic secrets. And I think it's, <laughs> I, I wish there was, I wish there was, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I will say is don't let anyone else pressure you on what you should be and what you should be doing. You know, um, again, I wasn't someone who was like by 35, I need to be a CEO and that's it. And I had opportunities actually around that age to do things bigger than I was doing. And I, no one held me back. This was not a, oh, female problem. I was held back. I chose not to, and I don't, I don't regret it. And I don't think anyone should knock anybody for it because at that moment I had three kids ages five and under, and that was, I needed to balance the vice president job that I had, which was great with that. Right. So I just would say, don't be judged either way because <laughs> mm -hmm. all of it's important. And you know, what you want to be and what you want to do is up to you. And it's own, it's your own definition of success. Nobody else's. Right. So, you know, for me, I, I'm happy with where I'm at, I'm at right now. I'm always looking for the next uh, way to grow this company um, and to grow myself, but um, there's no rush here. There's no time card for me, um, you know? But I love that. I love it. As, as we do kind of a final look back on your career, Kristen, I'm curious if you could write a thank you note to one person and one person only who has impacted your career, who would you write that note to? And what do you think you'd say to them? It's, I, you know, it's probably corny, but uh, my mom is who I would write it to. Um, my mom worked when a lot of women didn't work, but I think more importantly, it's that my mom was about women empowerment in the seventies. Mm. You know what I mean? Like right. she, she, knew and told me I should be anything I wanted to be. I did every sport under the sun, um, you know, that she supported me in that I think was a big part of, of who I am. Um, she absolutely, again, set the example by working herself. But I think there's just, there's something about being, about seeing that as a child and growing up and seeing her work-life balance, mm -hmm. you know, enable me to kind of fall into this as well. So I'd have to say my mom, you know, there's certainly a lot of others that have influenced me and helped me but I think she set some pretty good groundwork for, for this. So that's amazing. Thank you. Your mom sounds like a wonderful human being, a smart woman raising smart women. I love it. Thank you. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your story with all of our listeners. If people want to follow the work that you're doing at JOR, um, where's the best place to find you? Are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're definitely on LinkedIn. I'm always up for mentorships and I'm meeting new people or people who can mentor me, right? All of it. So reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, and if for any information about JOR, you can go to JOR.com. Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today. If you could hold your own concert with three bands, dead or alive, who do you choose? Bands? Can it be, does it have to be bands? Can it be just, uh, no? It could be individual artists. 
you it's your concert so you get to it could be a juggler who knows well <laughs> pick your own three people um i'm gonna go old school here but i own i i would have billy joel um i mean classic elton john also classic and then stepping up a little bit a little bit a little poison a little poison <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's kind of a random Rowan, but I like it. That gets, you know, you warm them up with Elton John and Billy Joel and then Poison knocks it out. I love it. (laughs) 